I'm here to love these people. Mm. And how can I be with what is true about this person? Mm. And what I can fix or shift or change can be the dynamic between us. And the way I can do that is by speaking up about it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like whatever it may be. I'm Autumn Brown, a wandering drow lost in the dark realms, whose sole purpose is vengeance, living on Dakota and Anishinaabe land currently known as Minneapolis. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, the original black elf cut from the Lord of the Rings trilogy for being way too hot. Writer of stories and songs, an emergent strategist, pleasure activist, and happy person overall, living in the land of the Shikori, Skurure, Tuscarora, and Lumbee peoples. And this is how to survive the end of the world. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rhythm, and curiosity. I feel like if you're um, a black elf, that's like a happy person overall, and I am a wandering drow whose sole purpose is vengeance, then we are bringing balance to the force currently. We balance it all out. Literally, we balance it all out. To combine all three franchises. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, everything is is accounted for. We're We're doing right by all of our fi- sci-fi and fantasy, putting the and symbol. All right. <clears throat> We're the, the ampersand. The ampersand. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should change the name of the podcast now that we figured that out. That to have, oh, that would be hilarious if we like briefly <laughs> changed it to an ampersand like, for like two years ampersand. and then we changed it years. back because we were like, now we got our contracts, so we're good. Yeah, we really <laughs> tattooed it on our faces. Um, <laughs> sister, how are you? How are you right now today? It's on the clock of the world. It's Friday on the clock of the world. I am. Oh, I guess this was true last time we recorded. I'm having another one of those weeks that's ending with a TGIF feeling. Um, Mm. This was a really restaurant (laughs) with the giant desserts. No, Um, (laughs) (laughs) no, I forgot what it stands for. Okay, my my brain is catching up. Yes, like. Yes. That's what that is what it stands for. Um, thank the goddess. It's Friday. Thank the goddess. It's Friday. Um, I am very tired. Um, mm. I'm on my period. Me too. And we started the same day. I know. I'm like, it's really interesting to cool? me that we are synced up from yeah. across these waves of time. Space. Yeah, they can't keep us apart. They literally can't. Um, together. And yeah, I'm just, it's just been one of those weeks. It's just been one of those weeks where lot, mm. lot happening inside the family dynamic, lots of me just trying to like kind of hold it together until the end of the night. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and all is well, you know, all is well, but I, I think, this is one of those weeks. I think because the season is changing and you can feel like it's just now as of this week starting to get cold in Minnesota and it's such a drastic our our seasons in Minnesota for people who have never been here, it is so drastic here. Oh, yeah. Um it is so drastic like it gets so it's almost tragic. It's almost tragic. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, you know, it feels tropical in the summer. It feels Siberian yeah. in the winter. And then the fall sort of feels like London. London. It feels like oh, living. Yeah, yeah because London. it gets really dark and rainy and... Um, foggy day yeah it gets very very tragic very tragic feeling um (laughs) so and I'm I can feel all of the different the spring is also tragic because it's like then it's just mud it's mud and ice and um snow falling really late in the month of April where right when you're thinking you're almost through it and then snow falls again but you like it there I do yeah um <laughs> it has it, it Minnesota has so many things to commend itself for. Um so Yay. anyway <laughs> I do. I actually do love Minnesota and I love having I seasons, but the but the transitions can feel really extreme. And so I think this yeah. week has just been one of those weeks where you can feel <laughs> just the fragility of everything. Um mm, my sister. You know. Um but I'm happy to be here with you. I love you. I'm happy to be here with you too. And I I feel like we've been really in touch this week, which has been really mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Wow. Thank yeah. you for I feel like this should be my um my top culture, the Ian Malcolm mug rescue. I got you. Um I got you. So listen we, we can definitely share that. Listeners yeah. should know that <laughs> One of the things that happened this week is, so many years ago, Adrian gave me this amazing mug, which I think I've talked about on the show before because oh, it's yeah. my favorite mug. And it's, it's so it has an image of, an iconic image of Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park where he's laid up on the back of a Jeep injured from a dinosaur attack. And but on shirt open. shirt open, looking very like hot and nerdy, and um, <laughs> just my type, hot and nerdy, and yeah. um, and except this mug has that image of him projected against a desert landscape, so it's really weird, and yeah. it's just exactly the kind of thing that I would love, and I've had it for many years, and a couple of nights ago, one of my kids broke it, and yeah. I it was I was devastated and as soon as I told Adrian about it Adrian was like I'm ordering three new mugs for you right now like I've got you <laughs> and I was like yeah, I was like I'm gonna get enough that everyone yeah. in the house break you are it's such a it's crazy. such a sister move I really really <laughs> appreciate that sistering thank you <laughs> got you yeah that got me through um, the week that got me through the week <laughs> just knowing, just knowing that it just helps coming. to be like okay like you know, I'm still looking for the one with the desert backdrop, but I sent you some that that are fully that shot of him. So beautiful, thank you. Um, yeah, good. How are you? I am. <laughs> You've also uh, had a week. You've also had. A I week. had a serious week. I had a serious week. So last week, I, I feel like last recording, I was like ebullient, ebullient. I don't know how to say that word, but I felt I like I was either, which is rare for me. <laughs> It's rare. Um, it's rare. I'm like, I always want to use it. Mm-hmm. I think like I, I, think, I want to use I it. I think ebullient. I don't know. Abulient. It just feels. It doesn't actually, sound right. It doesn't sound right. Do you want to look it up right on, now? Let me see if there's a ebullient. That's the spelling. I could pronunciation. Tell us. See what Tell saying. us, internet. <laughs> 
Wonder, wonder killer. That's what. Ebullient. Ebullient. You got it. All right. Well, that's what one place on the internet said. First, All right. first thought, best thought. I've, I've, I'm feeling it. So last <laughs> week I was bubbles of champagne pouring out of my glass. Like I just could not be contained. I was feeling so joyful and I was feeling really like on it. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, practices intact. I woke up every morning at 6.30 and I went swam and all this. Mm-hmm. And then, and then. Um, by Sunday morning I woke up like on Wednesday, I started to feel, and I had a voice lesson Wednesday, and my teacher was like, "Your voice sounds really, really, really dry. Mm. Like that, you sound great. You're still you're hitting your notes, but your voice, your throat sounds really dry." And I'd been around a lot of people. I always have a little like, "Ew, human germs, some yeah, you know totally. impact." So I was, I was like, "I'm not available for getting sick." So because I just too decided. Ebullient. I'm too ebullient. I'm living my best <laughs> life. Nothing's going to take me down. Um, but I did have some like boundary onslaught happen that during that week as well mm. that I was like, oh, I'm having to like navigate some boundary work. And I noticed when that happens that if I try to ignore any of it or push it off mm. to the side, it takes residence in my body. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, Resident so. Resident evil, one might call it. Resident evil. <laughs> <laughs> So by Sunday morning, so after denying, 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 then Hurricane Ian came through. I was supposed to travel for the weekend. It was like, no, you're staying home. Mm -hmm. So then I was kind of sad because I was going to go see our parents, which I was really excited about. Um, And and then and but I just was like, I don't something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And like Saturday, I started to feel like something's really my swallow is not swallowing right. (laughs) Like something's feeling weird in my throat. And so I started doing all the echinacea, all teas, et cetera, et cetera. Sunday morning I wake up and because our parents were visiting their family, we all got on a sister check-in mm-hmm. and I was like, you were I'm not, not okay. feeling good. Were, <laughs> like, as think, soon as your video came on, I was like, oh. <laughs> guys, I know you guys both looked at me with like, mm, that's, she does not have that glow. In fact, she does not. Um, so it was, <laughs> and then, and what I learned so you and all of my close friends who heard that I was sick were immediately like, please go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I learned that I have a resistance to going to the doctor that I wasn't actually aware about. Aware oh, really? Of. Yeah. Thought- like, so you guys were like, oh, that sounds like dad. Like my yes, reasoning. Yes, yes, right? yes. Your I was reasoning just like, totally sounded like dad reasoning. I was like, that's just going to make me more sick. They never help anything mm-hmm. like blah, blah, blah. And then all my friends were like, yeah, but you also go into denial about being sick because you think you can somehow magically like overcome it (laughs) and work through it. And so I was like, crap. So (laughs) I scheduled a appointment and it was a virtual appointment because I didn't want to, the idea of like being sick and going into a place full of sick people still daunts me. I can't do it. Yep. So we do this virtual appointment. She shines the light down. Like she had me shine my ring light down my throat wow. while holding my phone over my throat uh-huh. so she could see. And she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That is not. Those are not words that you want to hear a doctor say. No, she was like, look. Oh, God. I'm going to prescribe antibiotics to you. And, you know, she's like, it looks like strep. You know, I can't swab you virtually, obviously, but let's just stop this. Let's treat it. Treat it like strap. And I was 
it was at the, you know, I was like, swallowing made me cry. Oh, <laughs> it was bad, you know? Sister. So, um, and you know, it's my, yeah, it's just like being sick and I do not go together. So the whole, I was just like so angry the whole week because I'm like, I'm home and I have a lot of things I'm trying to do that yeah. I cannot do Yeah, because my brain's not working. My body's in pain and like everything I, then midweek, like around Wednesday, I was like, I got this. And I, I did two events and it just took me all the way back. Like I mm. passed out, <laughs> you know, mm. I was just like, I can't do it yet. So this is me crawling back up. Yeah. Um, I feel, I woke up this morning. I felt like a major turning of the corner. Okay, good. Um, but I also started my period yesterday and went and got the vaccines because I was like, since I'm already down. Yeah. Why not? Might as well just go through anything bad mm -hmm. <laughs> else that needs to happen in the body <laughs> so that when it's done, I can be fully done. And so I'm, I'm in that, and some of our listeners, I think will understand this, but I'm in the part of period where when you laugh, it like squirts out because you're just <laughs> so much blood is pouring out of your body. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really like at 44, I keep thinking like, to what end body? Like, <laughs> What are you up to? <laughs> you know, can we just can we just turn this off now? Yeah, or turn it down to a shut drizzle. It, shut it down. <laughs> Where's the fadrizzle? My nizzles fade. You know. So I well, yeah, be careful. That's how All I, I am. can say is be careful what you wish for. Well, I know that there's just no. I mean, I've been listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Menopause from Omashade, and I know the perimenopause and menopausal trials and tribulations will be many. Yeah. Um, but I also know so many people like in their 50s and 60s who no longer who are like periods and who are on the other side and like, it gets better in here oh, 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 oh. okay so, yeah so things to look forward to things to not look forward to but then things to yeah. also look forward to exactly i'm looking on the horizon beyond the horizon i can yes. see yes <laughs> a visionary, a visionary yeah. as always <laughs> yeah um <laughs> I love that. If you uh, listeners want to support Adrian's uh, visionariness, this is a good moment for us to remind you that you can become a patron of our show. And That's so good. You're so good at this. Thank you. I once upon a time in a past life was an executive director who did fundraising. So I was an executive director who tried not who to. Who tried not to. Ah! You were like, you were like, can I avoid all the donor meetings? It's like, I don't. Um, like no, I they actually, feel I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I was a pretty good fundraiser. Um, you were great. I think I was pretty good at it. Um, I think that's how you got hired, actually, because I feel like you were like the interim and then you were so good at fundraising that everybody was like, hold up. Don't <laughs> no, let her go anywhere. No, 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 no. I, I was the the organization where oh, I Oh, the before, before. Before, before. Because the organization I was the interim ED of, that was my last stint as an ED. Um, ah, yeah, which you. was on purpose. It was like a- Never go back. Never go back. Um but anyway. And also anyone who is an ED now, stop it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or, you know, you can find find your way into shared leadership, which is like the new it girl oh, of yeah. nonprofits. Um, stop it. But back to my promotion. So we have, um, <laughs> as of this merch. season, we have merch, we have tears, we have some special things for patrons like Ask Us Anything episodes. Um, definitely go check out ways that you can keep supporting our show on patreon.com slash end of the world show. It's cute over there. Sister, have I gotten bad at interrupting you again? You know, it comes in waves. 
it comes I feel like in it's, waves. We're in a really big wave. We right might be now. we might be in a wave, but I also what I've noticed in myself is I'm like way less reactive to it now oh. than I used to be, and and. I don't know if that's even like something that people who listen to our show would be able to pick up on, but there have definitely been seasons of our show where I'm over here having like intense reactions and feelings about it and then being like, stiff upper lip, keep on carrying on. But, you know, I'm I'm in a different (laughs) season of my life right now where I'm just sort of like, you know, I love you. And I know that like, you know, in our family – as complicated as our interruption patterns are for all of us, it is also a form of love. (laughs) It is. Well, and I think it's also, I especially think in this space, it's like, it means that I'm like, I'm forgetting that we're podcasting. Yes. Yes. Um, And (laughs) then I'm like, wait, we're podcasting. Right. We are Because I feel like I've noticed a few of the past, yeah, a few of the past conversations where I've been like, I'm just interrupting her so much. It's, it, I've been noticing it. So I want to oh, take accountability for go. interrupting you and you. say that I'm going to pay more attention to it. I, 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 I like hearing you talk. I also interrupt you. I just tend to do the, I do the, the other version of it from what you do, where I just tend to sort of talk under you quietly, but yes, like, yes. I'm also interrupting you, you know, but I'm just, but I like, like that one. I'm like, I'm just adding a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> See, but that's the thing is like the interrupting never frustrates me. So I never feel like I need a thing around it, mm-hmm. but I know that it frustrates others. Right. <laughs> so, right. Okay. I'm right. glad we had that talk. Good job, accountability. All right, sister. <laughs> so I want to hear about your flume of awe. Flume of awe. Oh, let's flim away. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, let's talk about joy, pleasure, feelings of awe. So mine, <laughs> my flume of awe is related to my kids as it often is. And mm. it's about like the way that children love and the way that children inherently understand that love is a reciprocal experience. Um, mm. Last night, so yesterday I started my period. Mm. Last night by, you know, by the end of the evening or by the end of the afternoon, once my kids were home from school off the bus and stuff, I was just really in a state, you know, I was like, I basically climbed onto the couch and I was like, you know, I'm ordering food and like Mm. y'all can just, I I don't, I don't even know if I had a, I don't even know that I verbalized how the rest of the evening was going to unfold, which I usually (laughs) do. Like usually when the kids get home, I'm like, I'm like, this is what we're having for dinner. And here's what you can do with this chunk of time. And then here's what you can do with that chunk of time. But last night Mm. I was just so, I was like, y'all, I'm ordering some dinner. And then I was just on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and Maraid was super excited to, um, just chill on the couch with me and basically had us do a movie Mm. marathon, um, of a series of movies that I will talk about in our, um, top culture section. Um, but, as we were, and Maraid is a serious snuggler. So the whole time that we're on mm. the couch, we're basically cuddled up against each other or Maraid is like lying in front of me while I'm lying on the couch or something, some configuration of absolute snuggle snuggle territory. And then at some point, Maraid went and grabbed a bowl of water and a washcloth and had me lay down 
and then washed my feet and then massaged my feet. And then Mairead paused the movie and was like, let's go upstairs for a moment. There's something I want you to get. We went upstairs and Mairead escorted me into my bedroom and pulled (laughs) my like fluffy terry cloth robe out of the closet and had me change into it. And then she went to the bathroom and grabbed a couple of masks and brought them downstairs. So then we did like a face mask together while continuing to watch the movie. <laughs> and um, and and then she, um, what else did she do? She did my hair. Like she brushed my hair out and put some like clips and things in my hair that looked kind of interesting. And... But then at a certain point, she sat down next to me, like another half hour goes by, and she's like, okay, now can you do the thing with my feet that I just did with yours? <laughs> I, she wins. She she, wins and I life. was like, absolutely. So I went and got like a fresh bowl of water and a washcloth and like washed her feet and then gave her a foot massage. And it was just... We've taught her well. We have taught, taught her, her well. well. But I just, I loved that. I loved that she really tuned into what were the things that were going to bring me comfort? And I just mm. let her do whatever she was doing. I was just like, I'm just, she's, she knows about self-care already. And so oh, yeah. I'm really going to let it happen. Um, but I also loved that she was like, okay, and now it's your turn to comfort me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, totally. Like mm. that is, that's also how love works is like mutuality, reciprocity. Um, mm. It was just very, and then I ended up like, doing a bunch of braids in her hair and it was just really cute it was really cute and sweet and um Mm. and then the whole bedtime process ended up being really easy I think because of that so yeah yeah it was really children are so amazing they're just so so amazing all children are and then I am in this really lucky position of Mm. getting to just see that up close and personal like how just the excellence of kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my flume. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I feel like all smushy. Um, it makes me miss everybody and miss the couch. And uh, the couch. Um, it's such a great couch. <laughs> exactly. It's so much. It's like, so spacious. It's so spacious and smushy. Mm-hmm. It's a really good You can really couch. just fall asleep on it. Oh, my God. Um, I've spent my whole week on my couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, couches. Um <laughs> <laughs> actually okay so flume of awe for me I, I think the first thing I'll say that I'm feeling a lot of awe around this week is the intersection of eastern or ancient medicines and western medicine mm. so I um, years ago discovered my friend Larissa put me onto functional health and integrative medicine and just this idea that there's methods that really try to weave between all the different methodologies yeah. that are out there to come up with healthy solutions whenever you're sick. Yeah. And I have an amazing acupuncturist who I absolutely adore, mm. who's part of the Integrated Medicine Center here. And, um, you know, my friends, everybody was like, you have to go on antibiotics. And I was so sad and angry about it because I've been doing a really um, intentional 
process of developing a healthy gut biome. Oh, I and, know, girl. Um, it's so hard. <clears throat> when, yeah, you know, like, when you know what it's going to do to your gut. I was gut. like, I know what it's going to do. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, Kasha, we had Kasha Ho on the Emergent Strategy podcast uh, last last season. And, um, you know, she just really, like, she she excites me so much because she talks about the fermentation and and then, like, what can happen in the body when you're introducing good bacteria and it's working with you. And mm-hmm. I, I've stopped thinking of myself as just like my individual Adrian self and thinking of myself instead as like Adrian with this whole ecosystem. You know, I was just like, because I'm having this swallow thingy, I can't, I have to take out my whole healthy ecosystem. Like this shit Aww. sucks, right? So, but it was on, it was like, I was, I did all the natural things and nothing was coming anywhere close to relief of the pain. So I went to see my acupuncturist uh, finally on Wednesday after doing the antibiotics for like two days. And I text her like, here's everything is going on with me. Should I even come in? Blah, blah, blah. She was like, oh, girl, come in. We're going to get you together. Yeah. I'm going to take it to the next level. Right. And so I went and I and I told her kind of shamefully, like, hey, I had to go (laughs) antibiotics, you know. And she was like, well, I would have also said to go on the antibiotics. Like sometimes you do Mm -hmm. need that. Yeah. She's like, but now I'm going to poke the shit out of your neck. <laughs> she did this treatment where she literally, um, I think it's called a PK treatment, where she poked directly in out pokes into the throat to draw blood. And it helps pull the heat out of the Whoa. inflammation that's happening there. And like from the time she's and, and it's a chasing treatment. So it's like, OK, now swallow. Where do you feel it? Let's go there. Now swallow. Where do you feel it? Let's go there. And just like, wow, it was remarkable you know miraculous in the way that that the body in the hands of a healer who knows what they're looking for Mm -hmm. and what they're reading and everything can be so the healing you know i'm like oh like the fact that i can get that sick and these days i feel like i also feel this awe like there's these sicknesses that are actually they they could be fatal to our bodies and then all these people have spent time figuring out what kinds of medicinal Reaction reactions to those sicknesses will help us survive. Yeah, it's amazing. And so there's what humans like are capable of. Exactly. Like where I'm like, oh, I got the antibiotics. I got the acupuncture. I my tongue is literally dyed orange. Can you tell? Oh yeah, I can kind of see it. Yeah, because I've been. I have so much tumor, like turmeric salt gargles. Uh, Dr. Shanali put me on to turmeric in all my soup. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like <laughs> just being like, okay, what do we know? And then I got the flu vaccine and I got the bivariant booster shot. Mm. And I'm like, wow, like just, it just amazes me. I was just like, here's all the things this week in this period of history that I have access to to help me live. Yeah. So I feel a lot of gratitude for that and and gratitude for the access I have to it. And Mm -hmm. it just makes me continuously think like, yeah, how do, how do we make this available to all humans? Yeah. I mean, and, right. it, and it's easefully. It's one of those things too, where it's so easy in all of the like in in being awakened to all of the pain that goes with living in our current context. It is easy, I think, to lose sight of how lucky we are to be alive exactly. right now when we do have access to so many different types of life saving technologies, exactly. ancient and modern. I mean, it also really helps me to look at, you know, I love watching, I've been watching both Rings of Power and Dim Dragons, which I might talk about in a little bit, but it also helps Mm -hmm. to watch 
these fantasy shows and watch period history pieces and stuff like that and just be like, oh, girl, nope, mm-hmm. I would not go back even one day. <laughs> not <laughs> like, even one. <laughs> not even one day. Yeah, so. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not trying feel, to have anyone pour boiled wine into a stab wound, for instance. No. For instance, but people just be like, you know what, I'm going to just like time. set a fire inside of your gunshot wound. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. All right. <clears throat> so speaking of that. Apparently maggots are still a thing. I've heard this. I heard that maggots are making a comeback yeah. and I will not be experimenting with that. Right. Mm. I feel like the maggots can have me when I'm gone. Like we've talked about yeah. it. I'm like, can, that's your time. That's their... Go hard. <laughs> it's your, thing. your turn. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was like, right now, you and me don't go together. Um, All right. So well, this season, I'm so excited about. We have been deep diving into All About Love by Bell Hooks, who became our ancestor last year. We're coming up on the the year anniversary of that, that passing, mm, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, and... um. And this episode was actually this what we're about to talk about is one that I was most excited for us to talk about, which is loving our families and what what do we learn about love in our families? And then as we grow up, how do we learn to be in family as a practice? Mm. Oh, so this is a good moment to transition as as we get ready in talking about the topic that we're here to talk about today, which is loving our families. Um, We have been collecting, as our listeners know, we have been collecting listener audio over the course of this season. And um, we want to bring in another listener voice talking about what love feels like. This is a spell for letting love inside your heart. This is a spell for love sent to us by Carly Weiler. Shot by Cupid, shot in the heart. Oh, it breaks and opens up, pouring, melting, and falling into love. The sensations are overwhelming. I've been closed for so long, heartbreaking, heart opening, heart hurting from love. Grief growing from underground, meeting its partner from up above. I let it in, dancing through my body, centered by grief, lifted by joy, the divine marriage creating a union of love. Please don't go away. I know all things are temporary. The only constant is change. But might love be its counter? like change prevailing through time and space. The union of grief and joy, purifying one another, coming home to one another, and teaching each other that the purest form of grief is gratitude, and the purest form of joy is gratitude, and gratitude is how you bring love home, how love may stay with you, even through change. Ah, I just love our listeners so much. Really beautiful. Thank you. Thank Thank you listeners for sending us these descriptions. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate your vulnerability. mm -hmm. So this season we have been going through the process of all about love 
which is from Bell Hooks, and thinking about love in all these different ways. And this episode that we're about to do from the very beginning of imagining this season was one that I was most excited about. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about loving our families. What do we learn about love at the site of family, Mm. wherever we begin our lives, blood family? What do we learn about love in the families we choose and create and build over the courses of our lives? And how do we learn to be in family as a practice? What does it mean to be in families that are practicing good communication, good boundaries? Mm. Um, What do you do if your family is not capable of those things? Mm. So we wanted to talk about loving our families. And Belle offered up some really crucial wisdom for this. Mm -hmm. Um, Autumn, will you read this first, the big quote? I will. I'd be happy to. All right. Our first quote from Bell Hooks. In a culture which holds the two-parent patriarchal family in higher esteem than any other arrangement, all children feel emotionally insecure when their family does not measure up to the standard. A utopian vision of the patriarchal family remains intact despite all the evidence which proves that the well-being of children is no more secure in the dysfunctional male-headed household than in the dysfunctional female-headed household. Children need to be raised in loving environments. Whenever domination is present, love is lacking. Loving parents, be they single or coupled, gay or straight, headed by females or males, are more likely to raise happy, healthy children with sound self-esteem. In future feminist movement, we need to work harder to show parents the ways ending sexism positively changes family life. Feminist movement is pro-family. Ending patriarchal domination of children, by men or women, is the only way to make the family a place where children can be safe, where they can be free, where they can know love. Bell also teaches us that all too often women believe it is a sign of commitment or an expression of love to endure unkindness or cruelty, to forgive and forget In actuality, when we love rightly, we know that the healthy, loving response to cruelty and abuse is putting ourselves out of harm's way. She says love and abuse cannot coexist. Abuse and neglect are, by definition, the opposites of nurturance and care. And in All About Love, I think some of the most daunting and vulnerable material that Belle offers up is talking about how families become these places where love is meant to be present or supposed to be present, but abuse is what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And it happens in a number of different ways. And she's very vulnerable about what she experienced and her early senses of abandonment, the early experiences of harm and how that set the pattern in her life for what other kind of love and family could be built. Mm. So it feels so important. You know, we keep talking about how there's almost no way to talk about love in this moment without talking about the end of patriarchy Mm. and without talking about our, our moves against patriarchy, our attempts to outlearn, unlearn, I mean, unlearn and outrun it. I love, (laughs) I also do love the idea of outlearning it because it is, I do want to outlearn it. (laughs) Patriarchy is something that adapts through learning. That's true. We have to outlearn and out adapt it. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like, I see this in our family, our immediate family, um, that we are in these practices of being like, okay, what does it mean to 
be born into a period in history where patriarchy was still really, really, really at the center of how everything around us was shaped and articulated and structured. And then to have basically a whole house full of women leaning more and more in the feminist direction as we got older and older. And, you know, it's really changed the practice of family that we have. Yeah. Like, I would say that from when we were younger and this idea of dad as the head of our household Mm -hmm. um, to now when it feels like we all share responsibility for what happens in our family, in the circle of our family, and that we all contribute to um, and take part in, and that we honor the labor that everyone puts in to the experience of our family, including the labor that mom was putting in throughout our childhoods. You know, (laughs) there was like, there was always always, always that deep um, management mm-hmm. that she was doing mm-hmm. of, of our household and our, and our lives. So I wanted to ask you a question before we jump into more open conversation, because I feel like you're, you know, the, the difference between us having this conversation is I feel like I have our family and then I have my friends and my circles and other stuff. And I feel like you have our family plus the family that you have then built and created and brought into the world. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to ask you sort of what feel like some of the practices of family that you have carried forward in your practice of family and what feel like some of the practices of family that you have shifted. Mm. Gosh, I I feel like I'm like, am I ready to even start there? Um, I mean, I love this question. Um, Thank you. but it almost feels like one that I would need to build to, but maybe, maybe, oh, okay. maybe what we can do is a little bit of circularness where I can offer a thought about it right now. And then kind of, maybe we can circle back to the question, um, okay. after more scaffolding. Um, yeah. but I would say what's, it's really interesting being a single mom, I, because I discovered mm-hmm. only after becoming a single mom that I am in a long lineage of single mothers on our dad's side of the family. Oh, yes. And, you know, um, gosh, I'll never forget this really powerful text that dad sent me when I was in the midst of going through my divorce. And I was, I, I don't remember even, it was some, some terrible thing was happening um, inside the like nightmare divorce proceeding. <laughs> and, mm. and dad sent me this text that was just, you know, helping me to say, sort of stay strong in the moment by connecting to this. He was just like, you come from a long line of strong brown women. And when I was growing up, the men were never the ones who took care of anything. It was always the women taking care of everything. And that's what you, that's what you come from. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, like, I mean, it was a deep thing to have him as a man say to me the like, I know what was modeled to me is that like the women are the ones who take care of shit. Right. (laughs) And, um, and then through some more conversation with him and with our mom about, about just the, the family tree on that side, I realized that there's, you know, probably three or four generations in which there were women in the family who opted to never marry for a variety of reasons. And I think that helped me a lot in terms of 
contextualizing my experience of going from being a married person to an Mm -hmm. unmarried person and especially in navigating the like identity loss that goes with um going from being married to unmarried and and at the especially in the period of the divorce feeling this high level of responsibility for redeveloping a sense of what our family unit is like what how what are the family practices that me and these children are going to have going forward that some of which are going to be about maintaining some of the traditions and practices that the five of us shared when it was a family a unit family unit that included both parents there's some intactness there but then I remember having this thought of oh, there's an opportunity here to develop something very different now. And mm-hmm. then that, it, so I guess what I'm saying is that the sense that there was that opportunity um, came in at the same moment that this awareness came in, that I come from a lineage of women who decided to have children and not be legally tied to the men in their lives. And... Um, which is an intentional practice of creating family, right? It is. It, we, it we, very much we, is. you know, it's, I think in the, in the culture, there is all of these, you know, incredibly distorted narratives around um, single women and single mothers, especially black single mothers. Yes. Um, and all of, most of them narratives that are in some way turning the key of failure, right? Yes. And we don't, remember we we don't often remember that in the long lineage of freedom there's all these different ways that that we have had to historically subvert these systems and one of the ways that women had to subvert these systems was to not be legally tied to men right (laughs) and so it is actually you know so for me that being able to avail myself of that reframe of my own life that like this isn't a tragedy in my life that I am yeah. no longer married to this man. It's a, it's a part of my freedom story to no longer be legally tied to a man and to now have the ability to create family in a way that feels to me more visionary and also just more in alignment with my values. Um, so for me, part, there's some, I guess I'm trying to, I'm sort of zeroing in on it. I'm getting closer. The thing I'm trying to, I guess, get to here is part of the practice of family is choosing what you bring forward and what you do not bring forward. Yes. And and for me, for me, being Mm -hmm. able to bring forward the lineage of single motherhood as a political act, (laughs) as an act of freedom, and then showing my children like, I know how to guide us in being a family and I don't need a man here in the house in order for us to feel like a family. That's right. That's really beautiful. Um, And I've watched you step fully into those shoes, as it were, and just hold it down in a way that... um, does feel more easeful, right? Mm-hmm. I think something that's so interesting to me is, you know, I have I we have I have our experience of family, which is our parents very much, you know, um, in love with each other and and kind of a united front of parentage mm-hmm. for us. <laughs> yeah. And 
then I have a lot of friends in, in my life who were raised by single mothers or were raised in households where there was divorce or, you know, there's just so many formations. Mm-hmm. And w- what has been most interesting to me is that the thing that mattered was how much peace the parent could generate at, at home, right? Yes. So it's like if you're in a, in a marriage and it's like, oh, this is working, you know, this is working. We can be functional. There can be peace in this ho- household. Great. And if it can't be between these two parents who had these kids, then the divorce option, the separation option, the moving apart from each other so that you can generate more peace amongst the adults yes. and that less of that is impacting the children is so important. And then I see other formations where people are like, it was my mother and my aunt or my mother and my grandparents yeah. or my mother and all these other people. And and in some of those situations, it was very functional and some very dysfunctional. And the people I know who have had kind of the most intact sense of themselves in life, you know, are the people who are like, I knew where the adults were who had some peace in them mm. and I had access to them. Um, they, they cared about my stability and they put that first. And there was a real sense that my, my childhood, my childness actually mattered and they cared about who I was and who I was becoming. And I want to offer all of that because, you know, I think right now we're in, we're, we're kind of breaking up these narratives. And one of them is the broken family narrative Mm -hmm. of, like just because a family doesn't look like this traditional patriarchal form does not mean that it's necessarily broken in any way. It might be Ooh. a healed family. It might be a reclaimed family. It might be a safer family. It might be a family that is maximizing the available peace in very, you know, um, uh, chaotic conditions. Yeah. I mean, right? mm-hmm. like I feel like both <laughs> internally chaotic and externally chaotic yeah. and, yeah. Um, so I want to name all that because, you know, I talked to, I have a dear friend and, you know, sometimes I talk to her and it's like, she had one aunt who was able to be that, like no other adult in her life was able to be that stable ground. Yeah. And that was her family. But she had this one aunt (laughs) who was really able to be a consistent loving force, you know, and it's really shaped how I showed up, how I show up as an aunt to all the babies in my life. Right. It's just sort of like. I'm going to be a consistent force of joy and love and pl- play and pleasure. Right. Cause like no matter what else is happening in your life, you're a kid and yeah. let's remember that. Yeah. Or whatever. And you don't deserve my chaos. And that's, you a, don't deserve my chaos. And that's, no, that's exactly it. Because I think about when I think about, I'm really glad you brought up the thing about peace because yes. when I think about, um, the difference between the household that we grew up in versus the household that I shared with my exactly. children's father, I would yeah. say the fundamental difference was there was, um, I, I experienced even, even with some of the like very traditional patriarchal rules that we had in place, even with yes. some of the very traditional patriarchal disciplinary practices that our family had in place, I experienced yes. our family. And even in spite the chaos of like relocating every two to three years of our childhoods, <laughs> I experienced mm-hmm. our home, our, our family unit specifically as being relatively peaceful because our parents were very committed to to keeping conditions peaceable between them. And, you know, like, you know, for better or for worse, like we didn't witness conflict between our parents growing up. And it's not that they didn't have conflict. It's just that they had a really, 
they had a boundary that they always held, which is that like the yes. conflict between them unfolds behind closed doors and it's not something yeah. that's happening in front of the children. And, um, and I think about, I, I, I was thinking about this as, as we were starting this conversation of like, what are the conditions that made even that possible? And, yeah. or what are the conditions that, cause I do understand that our parents are different from other people's parents and that our family unit <laughs> functions kind of yeah. pretty differently than a lot of other people's families. And even, even with some of the patriarchal dynamics that are at play there. And I, I think, you know, they're, even though they both came from, even though they were both sort of raised in that traditional patriarchal white supremacist, you know, milieu, there was mm. like rebellion at the heart of their relationship. Yes. And I think that the rebelliousness that happened at the heart of their relationship bound them to one another in a really different way than happens for a lot of couples. Um, yeah. And I immediately. immediately, and I think that that, you know, you know, when you were saying something about the United Front earlier, and, yes. and I think that that is something that, is really observable, was always really observable in our family life growing up, that there was no, you couldn't work one of them yeah. against the other. You know, there was yep. no way to manipulate. There was no way to like, you know. For better <laughs> and for worse. For better and for worse, right. It's like, yeah. it's not all, it's, it's not like, all. But you guys are wrong together right, right now. <laughs> exactly. But you but know. there was a sense of, you know, like they they are a team and they and then what they're vesting in us as yeah. a sensibility and as a practice is that we also should see ourselves as a team and operate as a team. So I feel like we were really yeah. raised with that sensibility that like, you know, and again, there's a light side and a shadow side to these things that I think what we've talked about in some other episodes is the shadow side of that sense of we are we are who we have and we're the ones that we can rely on. But yeah, the light yeah. the light side of that is a fundamental sense that, you know, our our role in this lifetime vis-a-vis -vis one another is to take care of each other and have each other's back. That's what it means that we're family. Yes. And that's not as I've gotten older, I've come to understand that's really not a given. And in a lot of families, in far too many families, the, it's the reverse. There's a sense of, exactly. well, I'm tied to you by blood no matter what. But like, I could dispose of you at any time. You are, yeah. you are disposable to me and I absolutely do not have to have your back just because in, in, in part, because we're tied by blood, I'm not obligated right. to have your back, you know? Yeah. Or like a competition. I, I feel like I, I feel like when family goes awry, when family goes awry, mm -hmm. I think a lot of what happens is there's things that are unspoken that pile up into actual walls of resentment between people. Mm -hmm. Like the unspoken becomes um, almost a physical barrier. Yeah in terms of the relationship being able to function. I feel like the unspoken, especially if it includes harm that needs to be accounted for, you know, it, things that need to be apologized for, um, because there's a lot, I mean, it's amazing what can, what, what a good apology can do, what real accountability can do. Yeah. And it's astounding what the absence of it can create inside of a family. Mm -hmm. And I think 
unfortunately, a lot of people are like, well, because it's family, we don't have to put in the intentional work to (laughs) um, make this work. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, this is just how it is. And one thing I wanted to say, well, there's three things. (laughs) One is that our parents are also both Sagittarians. And I think that there's an adaptability inside of the Sagittarian structure, right? They're like, we have to be adapting all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a sort of, anytime things would get a little stable, there was a rebellion in them that was like, okay, it's time to move again. Mm -hmm. It's time to do something else. Like, so- there's that piece. <laughs> um, there's the piece around them being an interracial couple at a time when it still wasn't common. It still wasn't really socially accepted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think every family is different in a different way. You know, so I'm like, I, I'm always astounded when I meet families, other families, um, particularly that were interracial and where the parents are still together because there's so many current concurrent uh, not concurrent what is the feeling there's so many common um aspects of just feeling like it was us you know yeah. we this little oh, yeah. unit right and i i think that people who have had to um migrate um have been displaced who have had you know there's there's certain conditions that create this sense of like oh it's us and we have to there's a depth at which we have to hold each other yeah that's different from people who are like, my family grew up all in one place, all in the same way with a huge extended body to draw on. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I actually, I would love to do a study on this at some point or have someone do it. But I'm curious about like what, what family structures look like when you have to rely on each other to survive versus when you're like, we're we're just here. Mm -hmm. You just, we're always Mm -hmm. here. Everybody's just here. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that that taking each other for granted experience can also build up right where there's someone in the family who feels totally taken advantage of or multiple people who just feel like unseen and invisibilized in the family so when i think about the practices like what do we choose to carry forward and what do we choose to let go i feel like so much of what we've chosen to carry forward in our family is that sense of like the adults are a team that are here to serve the kids in the family Mm -hmm. like our job is to make sure that they are safe and that they are able to communicate and that they are able to make messes and make mistakes and feel held and feel whole and feel loved. Like that's something that we have really carried forward. Um, a practice that our family has not carried forward is spanking. Like we right. grew up with spanking as a, as a device for discipline, um, discipline mm-hmm. that I think, you know, many, many, many of us now are like, actually that's not an acceptable way to behave between an adult and a child. There's no, need to be hitting mm-hmm. <laughs> someone who is little and tiny and can't defend themselves. And it also teaches a way of being in the world that is not what we want to perpetuate, which is the way you handle something you don't like happening or someone doing something they shouldn't do is to harm that person, punish that right. person. Um, so it's like there's enough there's violence in the world. <laughs> exactly. Already. And then I feel like, I, I mean, you know, yeah. And I think a lot of it is fomented in, in fam- family dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. And then I feel like a practice that we have generated into our family in a major way. Like I think our parents had it and started with it, but we have really increased it, particularly in this past period of COVID has been intentional communication inside of our family. Mm -hmm. And like now we we do have our weekly meetings, like (laughs) weekly family sessions where we get together and everyone gets to share how they're doing. So the responsibility for like, knowing what's happening in the family no longer falls just on one mom to be like Mm -hmm. the switchboard of everything. But it's like, we're all responsible for the relationships we all have with each other. 
And I also think the communication, I'm curious how you feel about this, but for me, the communication has allowed me to be like, I'm not here to fix any of these people or change any of these people. I'm here to love these people. Mm. And how can I be with what is true about this person? Mm. And what I can fix or shift or change can be the dynamic between us. And the way I can do that is by speaking up about it, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like whatever it may be. But being in regular communication helps me just be really present with like, this is who this person is. They are a completely sovereign individual for me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> everything else, everything that's happening between us is about the relationship between us. And we're blessed into this relationship with each other, which I think is a rare but wonderful blessing to to experience family as, ah, this is a good thing. Yeah. This is a blessing. This is a boon to my life. You know, I, I love what you just said, and I want to build on it. Um, Mm. because I think that one of the other practices that our family has developed over time that I see now as core to my parenting and how my family practices family is apology. And, um, yeah. And I've done like more in the last few years, I've done more and more reading and work around like, you know, a apology itself as a concept mm-hmm. and um, what what are the conditions that make an apology work or what are the conditions that make repair possible yeah. and um, and I think in our family what we've been able to practice is you know um, I, maybe because of the fact that we grew up with that strong value around adaptation, it means mm-hmm. that if I name harm to you and you apologize for it, I have a pretty high level of trust that you can adapt your behavior so that that harm doesn't happen again, right? Yes, I believe it's possible. right, mm-hmm. and um, and vice versa. Like you can you can feel fairly sure that I'm adaptive enough that like if you tell me that something I did or said was fucked up and hurtful then like I will work really hard to not do that again. And mm. and the that the condition of trust that the thing will change is, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the things that can make a, a successful apology and it's it's not present in all environments, but and and this is one of the things that I work with my kids around a lot. So for instance, with my kids, I have a I for me it's a high value for that adults apologize to children when they make yes. mistakes. And yes. especially if those mistakes are in some way result in unintentional hurt to the child, yes. right? Yeah. Now, a lot of adults do not feel that way. A lot of adults feel like, you know, yeah. that there's very very few circumstances under which they should apologize to children and especially if if whatever happened was not intentional, then the children are not owed an apology. But to me, it feels actually even more important when it's unintentional in a way. Yeah. It's it's still important when it's intentional hurt, but it's even more important when it's unintentional hurt. And that I I know I've talked about this before on the show, but for me it has to do with um, how I understand the developmental mind and what ch- how children are making meaning or learning to make meaning in the context of family. So family is the first site of meaning making that most of us have. Whatever yes. whatever family we're inside of that we're being like whether whether we're in 
an adopted family context, whether we're in a blood family context, whether we are growing up in foster care, having to move from place to place, like whatever that is, that is the first site in which we are learning how to make meaning of the world. So if we are having experiences where pain or harm is happening, and then the adults around us are essentially gaslighting us, like making us think that whatever that pain and harm is, is actually love. It's fine. It's fine. It's love. This is just what it is. Then like that confuses the ability to make meaning (laughs) in the situation. Right. So for me, it's like, yes, it's important for me to apologize because it's important for me to make repair and be a good person. But it's also for me about, I, I, because it's my job to support my children's development as humans. And a core part of that is developing their developing ability to make meaning of the world around them. Then it's, I have a responsibility to help them identify like, when is something okay? When is it not okay? Right. (laughs) You know, that, and that's been, and that's been in so many ways. I mean, that's been really the focus of the last few years in my relationship with the kids as their mom is like validating their experiences of the world, helping them make meaning of what's happening in their lives, helping them really be able to tune in to the, like, this is okay. This isn't okay. I like this. I don't like this. Yes. And well, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's so, I love this also because it feels so tied in then to being able to do any of the other healthy practices like setting boundaries, like knowing when to walk away or stay, like knowing when to work on things. Uh, all of those things are reliant on having trusting your assessment of reality, yes. right? And you can't trust your assessment of reality if you keep being told that what you're feeling is not what's happening, Mm -hmm. what you're sensing is not Mm -hmm. what's unfolding, Mm -hmm. or or that it's beyond what you get to know or any of those kind of things. And I think that there's something so important about that. You know, one of my, I love that you brought this up because one of my earliest memories actually with our parents is a memory of um, me trying to go find dad in the neighborhood and our parents not knowing where I was. Um, he'd gone over to a neighbor's home <laughs> mm-hmm. and I went there. You know, I heard, I someone told me he'd gone there. I went around, it was like around the block or something. Mm-hmm. I, by the time I came back though, both of our parents were back and they were like, where have you been? And I was in so much trouble and I was crying. They put me to bed. And I remember them then coming in because that neighbor came over. Oh. It was a Marty and Karina, I think. That neighbor came over was like, oh yeah, she came over, she was looking for you. And then I told her where you were and she came, she went went right back home and like vouched for me (laughs) that I was where I said I was doing what I said I was doing, you know? And then our parents came in and they sat down on the edge of the bed and apologized to me. And it's one of my, my very earliest like core memories. Right. And several times, you know, in, in our lives, as we've grown up, they have apologized Mm -hmm. Um, I remember when I shared with them that sexual harm had happened to me and they were like, we are so sorry to hear about that. And so sorry, you know, that, that you didn't feel like you could tell us, you know, like Mm -hmm. there was just Mm -hmm. so much that they were like, we will go straight there. Yeah. And I want to offer that not to put them on a pedestal because they really are human. Yeah. They they have a lot of wonderful flaws and wonderful, (laughs) um, you know, (laughs) special things about them that- They're so fun and funny, (laughs) you know, but I I do want to say when it comes to parenting, I feel like they really, you know, broke a a certain mold. And um, and so then when it comes to the practice of family, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like 
growing up, we've been able to offer them back things and we've been able to offer each other things yeah. because the foundation is we don't, we're not always right. And we don't always know everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So we're open to learning new things. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like the apology practice amongst us as sisters has also been so, so fundamental powerful. and so life-changing because I, I think the, it's how I, you know, it's how I learned not to be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I mean, I really feel like for all of us, right. There's a way that, you know, if you're not careful, if you're not paying attention, the tropes of society are pitting us against each other, competing against each other, making us constantly compare, mm-hmm. making us constantly feel seen or unseen based on the, some external def- def- definitions of success or, um, you know, being loved or being enough or whatever right, it is. Right. And I feel like being able to both um, apologize and also just be like, here's what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm seeing helps so much to be like oh my god like for me i always have this moment of being like right because you're living a whole other life that is your (laughs) life and you're not a character in my life like you know i feel like so much of family is that recognition that even though we all kind of have this shared experience for a period of time Mm -hmm. then we're all living our lives and um so i want to offer another i want to offer two more family practices Mm -hmm. that i think are, are ones that have really worked for us. So one we've talked about before, but it's the sister check-in process. Mm-hmm. And we instituted this because we kept coming into family vacation time where we really wanted to be with each other. Mm-hmm. And then we would land and we would combust within like a day. Ugh. And it was like our desire to be with each other um, compounded by all the things we didn't know that had been happening in each other's lives mm-hmm. that were creating a need Plus the, amount of time. the tendency inside a family to regress instantly back to um, like whatever, you know, childhood dynamics were already in place. Mm-hmm. Plus um, then usually it was like, and hey, we have a weekend <laughs> or we have yeah. a holiday. Right. You know, we have like, like we have four days to do all the family small experiences. amount of time. And because we're all living in different <laughs> parts of the country or world at yes. that point. It's like yes. then also usually three or four months at least will have gone by between times that we've seen each other. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so at some point, um, it kind of happened organically. I think that at some point we kind of sat together, we were crying. It was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that was going on with you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, let's just start each time. This like way. when we get together, <laughs> let's just sit down, you know, pull ourselves off to the side, sit down and ask what's really going on mm-hmm. and really give people you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, to just say what's going on in your life uninterrupted, Mm -hmm, (laughs) right? mm -hmm. And to be able to be like, oh, shit, that's what's happening with you, you know? Um, Even if we're in touch all the time, there's still these major themes and patterns to understand and learn about. And it's a way to really be tuned into each other. And now it feels like the family check-in is is like a microdosing version of that for the whole family. You just said microdosing. Yeah, I'm always trying to microdose. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's my reality. Um, but it feels like we do, you know, because I don't think it's also like trying to meet everybody where they're at. Like, I don't think our parents would, would necessarily want to be up for that emo dive every week. I don't think right. we need that emo dive every week. Um, but I do think it helps to just have a touching base of like body, mind and spirit. Yeah. How's your heart? Like, how are you doing? Um, and those two practices, I feel like, have really transformed and saved our family. Mm. Um, and 
I think it puts us a lot in alignment with the art of flocking, right? Like mm. to me, in the grand scheme of like change in the world, the family should be a place of flocking. Yeah. Right? So I can pay attention Preach. to all these little birds, all these creatures that are right around me, that are closest to me, that I can see. Are you going to talk about thermals? I was going to talk a Let's little bit do about it. thermals. Go there. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that thermals were going to make an, an appearance. You know, me and my thermals are really going in right now. So, well, one of the things, because, you know, when you see a flock of birds moving, when you see a, you know, there's so many ways that birds migrate and flock and there's so many ways they move together, but there's an art to it, which is the appropriate boundary is as important as the appropriate proximity, Ooh, right? So I need to be- again. The appropriate boundary is just as important as the appropriate proximity. I'm writing it down. So it's like, I need to be close to you and I also need to have really clear boundaries so we don't crash into each other and cause each other harm, right? Prentice Hemphill says this as boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But the art of flocking says, you know, I might not be in a direct- relationship with everyone in the flock. There's members of our family who I am not in direct relationship to. I pay attention to the people who are in relationship to them. I'm like, are they doing okay? All right. Right. I need to pray for them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You know, because I don't, I'm not, I'm not flying over in their part. Their part's a little chaotic over there. Mm -hmm. I'm staying over here in my part of the formation. And then the thermals piece is, (laughs) okay. Follow me if this makes sense to you. Okay. I think sending the Ian Malcolm mugs is like a thermal extension, yes, right? It's like yes, being like, oh my totally gosh, <laughs> you're spinning down and I'm like, thermal, babe. Like, here we go. Follow me, right? Here we go. These mugs are going to thermal you right out and like just coast. You don't have to worry about that mug. It's it's just a mug. Make a mandala. Make it, you'll, a new mug will come your way, right? And there's a way that family. I love it. I, I love can... it too because you're really the the spin the bird spinning down towards the ground really captures exactly. Exactly. how much was caught up in my devastation in that moment that wasn't even exactly. about that mug. Exactly. You know, because I was just like, this is the final thing. Like these are. This has been a hailstorm. There's been a hurricane. There's been a fire that you had to fly through, and now someone broke a mug, and it's like, I'm like, hold up. I'm going to fly down next to you and just show you how to catch this thermal. And we're going to fly right back up to the rest of the yes, flock, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I love it. But I feel like family, when it's functional, right, we're able to do that for each other. We're able to be like, let me witness you. Let me offer and extend support to what you're growing through. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to rescue you. I'm not here to suffer in obligation for you. I'm here to love you. Mm-hmm. And I've got to figure out the best way to do that. Yeah. And sometimes there's going to be hard years. There's going to be hard periods of that. And then Mm -hmm. there's going to be periods that um, it really feels like, okay, we're coasting. But I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think there's one last little thing I want to say that I know we spent a lot of time here. So, But there's one last little thing, which is, you know, it chokes me up. But it's just like Mm -hmm. I feel so many people don't experience the gift of their family until their family's gone. Yeah. Or until their family members die. And one of the things I hope that this podcast does, like there's many sub goals of this podcast, but one of the things I hope this podcast does is contribute to you having a better experience of your family while they are alive Mm. and a better experience and understanding of your family, even if they have already passed on. Yeah. That it's like we get given this space of family and it really is a space where we're meant to do, I think, as much healing as we can do in the course of a lifetime. Mm. And that healing 
is both like speaking the truth about what has happened in that family and speaking the truth about the patterns of that family and breaking the patterns that you can break Mm -hmm. and healing everything you can heal Mm -hmm. and seeing each person, their humanity, you know? Um, and so I just want to, I just want to say that, that it's like, I want to unveil that intention is just to be like, we're sharing all this with the hope that it really does help help your life be more family full. Yeah, I think as because of the fact that we I know I love you. Period. I'm just like, like girl, uh, why am I crying? See pain. Um I think <laughs> because we but but because because we're short on time, I think what this opens up for me is yeah. the need for us to do another uh episode on this because I think mm-hmm. that you know, we didn't get to spend a lot of time around um what do we do when trauma and abuse is present in a family yeah. as it is present in all families? <laughs> um, and yeah. and I think that it would be good for us to have another episode where we're spending some time there around like um, how do we navigate trauma within families? Um, mm. How can family be a vehicle for healing if it can be? And, and then we could also maybe land in the next conversation talking about chosen family because I think that that is that is often for many people the way family ends up being a vehicle for healing um thank you that's why I was crying I was like there's too much to say that don't have it okay so pop cultural joy let's just pop over now we know what we're gonna do and I feel so super sorted by that yeah yeah I mean (laughs) this is why we're facilitators it's like you know what it sounds like we have another agenda it sounds like we have another agenda Um, emerging I'm gonna put that in our notes another conversation scheduled within the next two weeks (laughs) thank you yes okay so top culture I'll go first um all right listeners y'all know I love a musical my children introduced me to a musical series that is made by Disney on the Disney Channel. <laughs> if anyone wants to experience it, that's where it is. And it's called Zombies. And oh. <laughs> it, there are now three films in this series, Zombies 1, Zombies 2, and Zombies 3. And, um, and the, Ooh, these, these are films that are set in like a sort of alternate reality, like perfect, quote unquote, perfect town called Seabrook where everyone is really committed to sameness. But then, oh no, there's like some sort of industrial disaster that causes a certain group of people within the town to become zombies. And then the zombies are contained in a containment area and then they're given this technology called Z-bands that's supposed to control the part where they want to eat brains. And then they're living in these side-by-side communities um, where the zombies are under all of these restrictions. And then these zombies, like where where the story begins is zombies trying to integrate the human school. And a zombie falls in love with a cheerleader who also has a secret that she's hiding. So it's, and it's a musical. And by by the second film, <laughs> there are werewolves involved. And by the third film, oh, yeah. there are aliens. Okay. <gasps> it goes so far off I'm so the rails. And throughout, there are giant group dance numbers. There are dance-offs between cheer teams and zombies. There are dance-offs between aliens and the zombies plus the werewolves plus the cheerleaders 
There's mm. like a whole f- sub thread around the fact that the high school has like a losing football team, but a winning cheer team. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> there's so much happening in this movie series, and it's funny and it's weird, and it's like, I just enjoyed it so much. (laughs) Yeah, it feels also, it's like a very self-aware kind of funny. Like, it's like, yes, we're doing this zombie cheerleader. We we are going as far as possible into the realm of what shouldn't be and then making it really, really fun. Um, But at no point do they address what zombie breath probably smells like. Exactly. the biggest missed part of it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Obviously, zombie breath is foul as fuck. Right. And you guys all know it. But like, y'all are like singing up in each other's faces and like. Every time I watch it I'm just like zombie breath. and somehow the zombies do appear like extremely attractive it's like very confusing but yeah. um and they also are able to have kids doesn't make any sense but um it's also it's just super campy it's super fun and uh we've we had seen all three of the movies but then Maraid was like let's watch them all back to back last night <laughs> I think that's really wise. it was great um so if you like zombies werewolves cheerleaders aliens and musicals this is for you. <laughs> I happen to like all of those things. I was like, since we, you said all my favorite words um, in one place. So um, I like, I right. like cheerleaders because you were a cheerleader. Just, yeah. And I only did that one year, but that's all I really needed. Yeah. Um, you were so we won amazing. the awards we needed to win. So and amazing. yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So listeners, Cheers. mine is, so there's this comic book series called Saga that is a perfect thing. It's It's a perfect thing. It's an actual perfect comic series. Every single one of the books, every volume is perfect. It's just perfect. So I'm, I'm my (laughs) um, exciting moment today is I pre-order like as soon as the next one gets announced, I pre-order it for myself. And then when it comes out, I never know. It's just a surprise. It just shows up one day and it's like, (gasps) It's here. So so I'd read all the first nine of them and the 10th one arrived on my doorstep while I was sick. And I opened it up. I felt utter and complete joy. And then I decided not to read it right away. And because I know what happens to me every single time, which is it goes way so fast. Like yeah. I, it's so good and perfect. You can't put it down. And then it goes way too fast. And I was like, what I'm going to do is compound this gratification and delight by rereading all of them oh, first. That is very this weekend. smart. That's, this is my plan for the weekend. I also am like, I've been watching too much reality TV shows and like bad dating shows. And like, I've just been watching the wrong stuff. I'm putting the wrong stuff into my system <laughs> and <laughs> I need to clear it's it out. Cleanse. It's just like, I'm like, these are just a lot of people behaving badly. And I think it's too much. Like it's one or two is fine, but it's just like, it's too much. Too much. I know way too much about awful people. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take a break <laughs> from some of it. And I am, I'm going to delay this gratification. And then I'm going to give myself the best comic of all time, volume 10. And I'm so excited about it. Um, oh. And if you have never seen this, Brian K. Vaughn um, at, by, does the writing and then this artist named Fiona Staples does the art and for a long time basically the lead character is an autumn character thank you I feel so seen by that I you are so her feel it is so she is so you seen by that and and actually an image of her of like the two main characters with the infant baby from the yes. very beginning is like still my little like icon image for my personal email account <laughs> 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 
<laughs> that makes me so happy, like, actually. Yeah, I just, I'm, I that you might have to get tattooed love... or something. But yeah. <gasps> Should we get saga tattoos? Yes. Wow. Oh Wait, God. how have we never oh thought about this? <laughs> Why before? did we not do this? You heard it here first, Full people. Oh my color. God, I might get the lion cat. Oh, okay, oh, I got to figure oh, out what I got to do. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. I made it. You can, and you can also make it by making a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Something else you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you are an iPhone person, we do read them all and we love them. I also, I meant to say this last sentence, but I recently posted on our Twitter and our Instagram. So both of them have things on them. Oh, good. Thank you. (laughs) How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the incomparable and the delightful and the patient Zach Rosen mm-hmm. and transcribed by Jess Pinkham and Sarah Rubbins Green. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg. When are we going to hear your music on our show? Soon and very soon We are going to see the king Soon and very soon I That was wow. a hymn. That Thank wasn't you. That wasn't that was no, a him. That was you stole that from Jesus. I stole that from Jesus. All right. <laughs> well, see y'all later. <laughs> I love you.